You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Come join us now in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Michael, we're calling this program Finding Jesus, Finding Rest, and your friend mm. Curtis Zachary is going to talk about that later on. I, I can't think of a better person to talk to, actually, about finding rest than, than CZ. Finding soul rest. You know him as CZ. He's Pastor Curtis Zachary, and we'll, we'll talk with him in the program coming up in the second half today. Our featured resource this month is the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible. Now, you've told us before, Mike, that you were taking notes in this Bible specifically yep. to pass the Bible on to your granddaughter. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things you can do with a note-taking Bible is, uh, as, a, as a parent or a grandparent, you read through the Scripture, and in the margins of the Bible, you have a discussion with your son or daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter. And uh, I did it with each one of my children, for all my four of my children, and now I'm doing it with the first of my five grandchildren, my granddaughter, Eliane. And I'm, I'm, it's it's this exact Bible. I'm using this one to read through. Of course, I got it for free. Ha. That's but, really uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, note, note to CSB, maybe we should publish the version that had Michael Card's notes in it to his granddaughter. I don't, no, I don't no, know. No, you don't want that. You don't want that. But but it, it is wonderful, and and what a treasure that's going to be. What what better oh. thing could you leave to your kid or your grandkid than right uh, w- w- to read the whole Bible through with them in mind and yeah. you know, having a dis- ongoing discussion? Yeah, I, I really love doing it. And it, and here's the other here's the side sidebar. It's an encouragement for you to read the Bible. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible, and we'll have more to say about it during the program here today. You mm-hmm. know, I have the Shepherd Family Bible that goes back to 1865. and I saw just, the picture. Just to see the handwriting in that Bible yeah. brings all kinds of emotions to the surface of who these people were and about wow. their lives, you know. So I can only imagine what this will mean for your family in the future. Yeah. Hey, I have uh, something you don't know about. Uh-oh. We are going to try something different today. Uh, why am I scared? No, 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 me? no, no. You don't need to worry. <laughs> uh, this was cooked up by our producer, Joe. And the idea is that at the end of today's podcast, listeners, when they stay tuned, are going to hear a bonus track of music from Michael Card. Oh, okay. All right. Is that all right with a you? Bonus. Well, I'm not so sure it's a bonus, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> No, wait. the bonus the bonus would be not playing the track. I don't even know what the part. song is going to be. I don't know what the song will be. You just have to stay uh, to the end of the podcast and listen for that bonus track of music. Okay. Well, coming up, we're going to hear your teaching from the Cove as we continue this series, Walk with Jesus, and you ask the question, why don't we know Jesus better? Yeah. And we'll be hearing that teaching here in just a moment. It's a good question. But you're going to sing A Better Freedom, but I'm going to set the song up by reading an email. You know, we've got Father's Day just around the corner here, and I think this really fits in nicely. This person writes to us and says, Hi, Mike. I've been a fan of your music for the past three years after my dad introduced me to you, and I was uh-huh. struck by the rich theology embedded in your music. I went to visit Cedarville University, yay, this past week because I'm graduating high school this year. Yes. I have a... I have a picture of Wayne Shepherd climbing the radio tower at Cedarville College. Yeah, don't go there. Uh, he's graduating high school this year. He says, yes, there are still people under 30 who listen to your music. 
Oh, ouch. Actually, okay. here's somebody under 20 listening to your music. Uh-huh. And then he goes on to say, I've been heavily encouraged by your song, A Better Freedom, in my fight against the many desires of the world. If you're reading this on your podcast, would you play this song? Wow. We're going to honor that right now. So we're going to cool open just that? before Michael comes to teach. Isn't that great? Yeah, very encouraging. All right. We're going to play the song right now, recorded in the studio. Michael Card and A Better Freedom. Christ revealed himself to me Enslaved my soul and set me free I was bound to him at Calvary And found a better freedom That soul who suffered in the dark Has purchased and unchained my heart A shining slavery did impart To find a better freedom A better freedom can't be found By those unwilling to be bound A better freedom is not known By those whose hearts will not be owned And those who follow find A better freedom We never can be truly free Till we're bound to this community The Incarnation lets us see A path to a better freedom A slave to sin my life before Was bolted like a prison door But in slavery to the risen Lord I found a better freedom A better freedom can't be found By those unwilling to be bound A better freedom is not known By those whose hearts will not be owned And those who follow find a better freedom Follow him and find a better freedom Come to him and find a better freedom So I want to talk about uh, why we don't know Jesus better. I brought up this idea that we know Jesus in a, in a way and to a depth that we know or can know no one else. This is the last thing he said before he was arrested. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory that you've given me so that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them and you're in me so that they may be completely one. That the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I've known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. He is in us. We know him in a way that we can know no other, other person. I think that's a pretty exciting idea. But here, here are some of the reasons we don't know him. Why don't we know him better? 
First of all, the space. I, I Googled uh, Jesus' house is 6,578 miles from my house. It's a long way away. The distance in time, 2,000 years, is an unimaginably long time. There's a cultural distance. Uh, we're going to talk about that some the, this this odd mixture in Jesus' time of Hellenism and Roman culture and Judaism. Um, it's so fragmented and so complicated. And that's one of the barriers to knowing him better is trying to understand how complex the culture was. Um, I, I talked about the point uh, zero nine that we, we possess such a small piece of his life in the Gospels. If Jesus' life is $100, we have nine cents of it. Um, another problem is I've allowed other people to know him for me, for the professionals. And that's not how it works. That's not how it's supposed to work. Because, it, because of the Holy Spirit, he can be known as no one else is known. Uh, also, I, I read the Gospels with an over-familiarity. Um, this, this is a new translation, CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and you heard me stumbling. It's kind of hard to read. It doesn't flow like NIV flows. And we, I was on the team that translated this. We did that on purpose uh, because, uh, I mean, most of us, you have a translation. Maybe it was, used to be King James. Now, for most of it's NIV. I think in NIV. I can finish Jesus' sentences for him, Right? It's, how, it's the same way I listen to my wife. I, I know what she's going to say. And that makes for a really bad listener. And, uh, and that's one of the things uh, that's a problem. And I think that's why a, new, a fresh translation is a good thing. Uh, all translations have some kind of presupposition. NIV, my mentor worked on the NIV. He translated Mark and Hebrews for the uh, NIV. And they're... One of their goals was to make it as readable as possible, and they did that. It really flows. Uh, CSB doesn't flow like that because the text doesn't always flow like that. But, so I read the Gospels with a nova familiarity. Um, frankly, and another reason I don't know Jesus better, frankly, I don't like a lot of his friends. Enough said. Uh, and finally, <laughs> and finally, there's a part of him that terrifies me and it's his absolute lordship I'm, I'm terrified by that uh, I'm frightened by his absolute lordship and the potential demands that it has on my life and you see this in the gospels when Jesus walks up to you know, the fisherman when he says follow me that is not an invitation it's a command because they literally drop what's in their hands, and walk away. That's the dynamic of his absolute Lord. Lord means Lord. And uh, sometimes I think I don't know him better because, boy, that just scares me. But I want to talk about uh, his, his world. That's what I want to begin our, our sort of journey together by talking about his world. And um, I've got a map for you, if you could pull the map up. You've all got maps like this in the back of your Bible, but I think this is a particularly good one. Um, begin, uh, the first idea is that Jesus' geographical world is really divided. I mean, look at that. You see Galilee right up there. Well, in between Galilee and, Ju and Judea is Samaria. We know all, those, all the problems, although we're going to find out 
that Galileans really didn't have a problem with Samaritans. It was Judean Jews that had a problem with Samaritans. Uh, there are stories of Galilean farmers letting Samaritans take care of their cows. So, and we do know that Jesus passes through Samaria all the time, right? He's got no problem with Samar uh, Samaritans. Uh, but if you, if you look at the map, you see it's, it's a divided world. There, each, each one of those is ruled over by a different uh, aspect of, of Rome in Jesus' day. Or they'll, they'll, they'll allow a puppet, a, a Jewish uh, puppet to, uh, 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 like someone like Archelaus, to, to, uh, to rule over Judea. It's, it's, a, it's a fragmented world. Uh, it's, so it's, it's divided geographically. It's divided linguistically. We talked about the fact that you, to, just to, to navigate Jesus' world requires at least three languages. And it's a very, and we know this, is a very fragmented religious world. Um, so let's, let's talk about, about that. Jesus grows up in a dangerous and fragmented world. He's not safe. He's not safe anywhere he goes. Imagine this. Seeing crucifixion was a fairly common experience in fact, Jesus grows up in Nazareth and only three miles away in 4 B.C., which is right about the time he was born. He's born between 4 and 6 B.C. We're not really sure anymore because the calendar got messed up. Okay, So he doesn't get, it's not zero. He didn't get bit, you know, born in zero or whatever one. He's born between 4 and 6 B.C. And a lot of amazing things happened right in those uh, two years. And one of the things that happened was uh, a beautiful a uh, primarily Jewish city just three miles away was uh, conquered. The, the city's called Sepphoris. Um, it was conquered by Varus, the Roman general. And 2,000 people were crucified in one day. I mean, get your mind around that. Jesus grows up in a world where you could be walking down a, a major thoroughfare and where the road forks, someone's body is hanging on a cross. That's part of his world. It's, uh, it's a dangerous uh, and fragmented world. Matthew 2, 13 through 18, before he was even born, uh, Herod was trying to kill him. It's not a safe world, the slaughter of the innocents. Um, uh, so he's, even before he's born, he's, he's not safe. And then when he comes back from Egypt, Matthew 2, 19 through 23, remember Joseph decided they better live in Nazareth because Archelaus is, is ruling in Judea, and that's not safe. So we're going to go to Nazareth to be safe there. So he's, he's, uh, uh, we're going to see that Galilee is really sort of a refuge. It's a place of refuge. Um, Mark 3, so early in the ministry, 3, 1 through 6, the Pharisees and Herodians have already decided that they're going to kill Jesus. He healed a man with a shriveled hand. And they think, well, really only one thing we can do with him is to, uh, to take his life. That's Mark 3. Uh, in uh, 7, John 7, uh, 1, uh, Jesus' brothers remind him that the Jews in Judea are waiting there to take his life. That's seven. That's early in the ministry. There are already people waiting to take his life. He is not safe. Let me do a quick sidebar here. There's sort of a new idea. Uh, the Greek word eudaioi, which is usually translated Jew. Uh, there are some scholars now that are saying that probably doesn't always mean Jew. It means Judean. 
and see that map uh, you see in, in the south, just, just north of Idumea, Judea, the idea is that there is this different group of people and, and it's not necessarily the Jews that Jesus is having problems with, it's the Judeans that Jesus has, is having a problem with. And that's a fairly new idea. But just know that there, there are some scholars, I'm not, I'm not sure about it yet, I think it's kind of a cool idea, it explains a lot, but clearly the word doesn't always mean Judean. Sometimes it means literally means Jew, especially the way John uses it. So i just th- throw that out to you, so just to know that the, the scholars are up, up to something. In Mark eleven fifteen through 18, the chief priests and scribes begin looking for a way to kill him, also in 12, 12. And in Mark 14, the chief priests and scribes are looking for a sly way to arrest him. So he is not, his world is not a safe world. So it's fragmented uh, geographically, it's, and, it, and it's a dangerous world, and it's fragmented religiously, and you already know this, but let me... Uh, let me talk about how fragmented Jesus' world is religiously. Okay, this is very important, and it's so simple, and we just don't realize it. But in Jesus' day, there isn't Judaism. There are Judaisms. On one hand, we have, and you know this already, on one hand, we have Israelite religion, right? Temple, priests, sacrifice. On the other hand, we have something relatively new. Um, so we have Israelite religion over here. Over here we have rabbinic Judaism. That's new. The word rabbi is not in the Hebrew Bible. Synagogue is not in the Hebrew Bible. Those aren't concepts that come out of the Hebrew Bible. This is a new thing, rabbinic Judaism. Oral law, that's a new thing. And Jesus just, I don't want to say he can't stand it, but he breaks it every chance he gets. The oral law is a new thing. The Pharisees are coming, coming up with this oral law. They're adding to the law, and Jesus doesn't like that. You put this heavy burden on people, he says, and you won't lift a finger to help them. Okay, so Israelite religion. Now, that, that will end in 70 when the temple's destroyed, and what we have today is rabbinic Judaism. Okay, Israelite religion's gone. Now, they're wanting to rebuild the temple and bring it back, uh, I don't know. I don't know enough to know if that's even doable, but I know there are a lot of people that are thinking that that's on the horizon somewhere. So Judaism is, is, is splintered. We have this new group, uh, the Pharisees. We're not really even sure where they came from. They kind of appear on the scene fully formed. Nobody can really trace the development of the Pharisees. We're not really sure. Uh, but their thing is the, is the oral law. But did you know that the Pharisees were divided? There were seven different groups of Pharisees, so they didn't agree on stuff. Um, they, um, then we have the Sadducees who, um, who are opposed to the Pharisees. Sadducees just believe in the Torah. Pharisees believe in the whole law, prophets, and writings. Uh, so they don't agree on canon. They don't agree on resurrection. Sadducees don't believe there's a resurrection. Pharisees believe there is. Uh, then we have priests and scribes. And scribes can be from any of those groups. Uh, you can have a, 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 a scribe that is a, a Pharisaic scribe or a, a scribe that aligns himself with the Sadducees. They're an, they are experts in the law. But nobody agrees on anything. The, 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 the Judaisms of Jesus' day are also very fragmented. Uh, 
Then right around the time Jesus is born, almost exactly the year he was born, the zealot movement begins in Galilee. Okay? We have Judas the Galilean who founds the zealot movement. And and not only are they anti-Roman, they're anti-any Jew who's not as zealous as they are. In fact, when when, uh, Titus had surrounded Jerusalem, the Jews were killing each other inside the walls. It was, uh, and it was primarily the zealots who were, who were up to that. So we've got Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, scribes, zealots. Um, and the, the, the Sicarii are the extremists of the, of the zealots. So that's a whole other group. And then lo and behold, we, we've got the Essenes who go out into the wilderness and say, we're going to be as holy as the priest is on the day he goes into the Holy of Holies. We're going to live like that all the time. Um, you know, I say, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Uh, and now right, right when the gospel begin, we have this new thing, John the Baptist. He's, he's doing something you're not supposed to do. Baptism is something for, for a, a Gentile proselyte. Okay, when, when a Gentile embraces Judaism, he's, he's baptized and is said to be born again. Okay, that's just part of the process. Well, John's baptizing Jews. And one of the first scenes we have of John the Baptist, there's this little investigative committee from Judea that are standing on the bank trying to figure out what John is doing. Because this makes no sense. Okay? And then right around, you know, shortly after John's movement, you know, flourishes. John is far more famous than Jesus is, at least initially. Uh, then Jesus begins his, his ministry. So we have Israelite religion, rabbinic Judaism, seven groups of Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, scribes, zealots, sicarii, Essenes, Herodians, whoever they are, we're not even sure who they are. But that's his religious world, so it's very fragmented. It's not safe. And one of the things that is very interesting to me is how often the Gospels mention Jesus hiding. That's a part of his life I find really interesting. Um, so let me give you that list. Um, I said it's an unsafe world. My question is, is he afraid? I don't think he's afraid. He's not afraid of anything. Um, but I think it's a matter of timing. And so Mark 145, one of the first references, because of the crowd, he could not enter a town openly, but he goes to the Aramas Tapas, the wilderness place, um, and that's a really difficult term to understand. Bibles translate it all kinds of different ways. But he, he has to, he can't, by Mark 140, the first chapter of Mark, he can't enter a town openly. You know, you, you have this idea that Jesus' ministry sort of begins in obscurity and kind of gains in popularity. And, and uh, I guess he starts doing miracles and there's a spike. But during the whole course of his ministry, his life is under threat. I mean, before he was born, his life was under threat. So that's, I know I'm, I'm beating that horse to death, but it's, I think it's a very important point. Luke 5, 6, and 9, 18, he withdraws to deserted places, but it's Aramos Tapas. Uh, and Luke probably got that from Mark. In Mark 7, 24, he enters a house in Tyre and wants to keep his presence there a secret. He doesn't want people to know that he's there. John 7, 1, he goes to Galilee to escape the Judeans who are wanting to kill him. That's when his brothers say, you know they're waiting there to kill you. But Jesus goes anyway in secret. 
Isn't that interesting? He's hiding places. He goes in secret. And uh, John 7 is one of my favorite stories. That's when he, it's almost like he can't stay hidden any longer. And uh, that tab- it's tabernacles, and I won't go into that, but it's one of my favorite stories. I'll save that for later. Matthew 12, 15, Jesus hears of the, uh, about the Pharisees' plot to kill him, and he withdraws. John 8, 59, the crowds pick up stones to stone him, but Jesus was hidden, whatever that means. I don't see him hiding, but I see him, you know, getting out of the way. In John 10, the crowd tried to seize him, but he escapes. John eleven fifty four, he no longer walked openly, but departed to a town close to the wilderness called Ephraim. And then finally in John 12, 36, Jesus said, walk while you have the light. Then he went away and hid from them, John says. So interesting, fragmented, fragmented, unsafe world to the degree that sometimes he has to hide. Uh, And I think the the hiding business has to do with timing Uh, because clearly when it's time for him to die, he's not hiding from anybody. He walks right into uh, their hands, knowing everything that's going to happen. He grows up 28 miles from the Mediterranean Ocean, yet there's no word of him going to the ocean. I mean, when he goes to, the, to see the woman in Tyre, that's on the, on the coast, so maybe he saw the ocean then. I've, I've never imagined Jesus standing on the shore of an ocean, but it would have been the Mediterranean. He lives closer to the Mediterranean than he, did, than he does to Jerusalem. That was a new idea for me.
Thanks, Michael. We've come to the halfway point of this session. Help us get the word out about this gathering of like minds by sharing the link for this podcast. Stop by the Michael Card Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners. Or reach us directly where you can send your comments, song requests, or questions via email and write to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, inthestudio at michaelcard.com. These conversations are just a start, and we want to invite you to go deeper. Check out more of Michael's insights through his books and music. His latest is titled The Nazarene, and it goes along with the teaching we're hearing from Michael on the life of Jesus. Explore all that is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Well, there is more music and conversation with our guests coming your way as we pause for this message here in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael with his story about the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible. I'm so grateful for the godly people who shared their personal insights into God's Word with me. That's why I'm so excited about the Legacy Note-Taking Bible. As I read, I get to mark up and add notes on key passages in the Word. As a father, I've done this for all my kids, and now I've started doing it for my grandkids. Search for the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible at csbible.com. In this leather-bound edition, you can use the generous margin space to record insights from your faith journey. When you place your order, be sure to use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 for your 40% discount with LifeWay. I can't think of a better thing to do than to pass along your understanding and love for God's Word to your family. Don't miss this opportunity to let your insights be heard for generations to come. Search for CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible at csbible.com. We're going to meet Curtis Zachary here coming up in just a few moments to talk about finding soul rest. Again, Mike, you know CZ as you call him, right? Yeah, and, and it, it, as I heard you introducing him, I was thinking, you know, some people are gifts. And, you know, you, here's, here's my friend, and, and meeting him, it really is a gift. And I think you're going to experience that when you see him. I, I don't know anybody else like CZ. I look forward to the conversation coming up yeah. in a moment. Here's another email comment. You're so faithful in sending emails to us and comments on Facebook, and we love getting some feedback from our listeners. This person, Corey, says, I just finished the Life After Easter episode, and when you provided your email address, I felt compelled to send you a thank you letter. I recently discovered the Michael Card podcast, and I'm glad for the accessibility we now have in 2022. In the late 90s, to hear the Michael Card program, I had to have someone record the show on a cassette tape as no local radio stations played the show. How about that, huh? Wow. The show from the 90s I remember listening to the most had Michael talking about his need for his father's approval, his drawing pictures and shoving them under the door of his father's closed-door study, and the eventual realization by Michael of his neediness, finding rest in God. And Corey goes on to say, the Life After Easter episode really spoke to my neediness, especially in Daniel Page's story. Dan was a is a pastor who overcame alcoholism. And Corey says, thank you for your work. So thank wow. you, Corey, for your writing. And that's something that somebody take the time to write an encouraging note like that. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So we're going to hear the song, Poem of Your Life, and then we're going to meet our special guest here today and talk about finding soul rest. Here's Michael. One, two, three, one. <laughs> Thank you. 
A poem with meaning more than words can say A painting with colors no rainbow can tell A lyric that rhymes either heaven or hell We are living letters that doubt desecrates We're the notes of the song of the chorus of faith And God shapes every second of our little lives And minds every minute as the universe waits by The pain and the longing, the joy and the moments of life Are the rhythm and rhyme, the free verse of the poem of life in the mirror and pray for the grace to tear off the mask see the art of your face and open your ear lids to hear the sweet song of each moment that passes and pray to prolong your time in the ball of the dance of your days the canvas of colors of moments ablaze with all that is holy with the joy and the strife with the rhythm and rhyme of the poem of your life With the rhythm and rhyme of the poem of your life The pain and the longing, the joy and the moments of life Are the rhythm and rhyme, the free verse of the poem of life Poem of Your Life, Ken Lewis and Steve Mikesell, along with Michael there, recorded in the studio. I'm not even going to try to introduce this next guest, because you know him so much better than I do, Mike. <laughs> you you, well, you know him well. He He's almost impossible to introduce. You know, I, I said earlier, there are some people who are a gift, and mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing I can say about, about CZ. This guy, is, he's a gift to me as a friend. He's a gift to the church, and uh, and... And within a few seconds of hearing him speak, I think everybody's going to understand what I'm talking about. Hey, CZ. Man, what's up, brother? It's good to talk yeah. to you. CZ is the author of Finding Soul Rest, which is what we want to talk about, Mike. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite books. Uh, I've got a question on a couple of things that I want to ask you about. But uh, sure. like, uh, why, why in the notes, there's no reference to anything written by Mike Card? <laughs> I mean, you've got... You got <laughs> Keller, Timothy Keller. Who's that? Oh, Eugene Peterson. My Come on, <laughs> Eugene Peterson. Who's that? G.K. Chesterton. What's that all about? Well, I not a single right Mike Card quote. Well, here's the thing: you endorsed said book, so people are going to inherently pursue uh, your know. work from that. And then I always I endor- tell you all the time when I preach, I do reference and quote you often. So. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that that's a more practical and tangible way to give your work to people, not in some 
stodgy old uh-huh. look. But in real life, yeah. in real work, that's what I'm talking about. Good comeback. See, nice recovery. Yeah. yeah. And th- and that is why I like CZ. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, yeah. you got you yeah. guys can play together. I get it. Well, he, he responds to abuse with loving encouragement. I mean, who else does that? I think that's a whole other episode you're going to have to deal with there. All right, there all go. right. Well, well, Mike, you came preloaded with some questions for for CZ here, so let's get started, huh? Well, I mean, I I, I love the book, but there there's two two of the chapters that really jumped out to me. Uh, I think the one on the wilderness and uh, you, the background. Uh, I think he closed the book with that chapter. Talking sure. about Debar and and uh, Midbar and uh, I, I just thought that was brilliant. Man, thank you so much. I, I feel like that was such a transformational insight for me in my life because so much of what I've experienced in my uh, Americanness and in my own experience when it comes to wilderness has been negative in its connotations. You know, anytime there's some yeah. sort of potential opportunity for learning, or if I'm in some mysterious middle place, you know, I think that there's uh, this immediate desire to get out as soon as possible. There's nothing about Mm. it that feels compelling uh, in and of itself. And when I took a trip to Israel, I remember having a conversation with uh, one of the teachers there, and they were talking about wilderness. We were in the wilderness of Zen, and uh, it was powerful, and it was midday, you know, it was blazing hot, no coverage anywhere. And uh, the teacher, dripping sweat, is talking about the different perspective of wilderness from the east to the west. He he basically affirmed what I would say in my western view of wilderness to be one that we want to get out of as soon as possible. And he said, here in the east, we see wilderness differently. As a matter of fact, we almost long to be in the wilderness. And as I and so many other Americans would ask, well, why would you want to be in the wilderness? He did like Jesus would do, which is answer a question with a question. And his question was, have you read the Bible? (laughs) And so he then went on (laughs) to describe how, you know, Moses has this burning bush encounter in the wilderness, Elisha in the wilderness. You got Jesus who's baptized and immediately led by the Spirit to the wilderness. Paul has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, goes to the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness, people believe, in the East, that your ministry is formed. Your insight from God is found. Your voice from God experience is heard there in the wilderness. No distractions. And I think that changed so much about what I had experienced, the view of even what suffering has met in my life. It's just giving me new lenses. And I think, I hope it's encouraging to other people. Well, Bill Lane used to say that sonship and daughterhood is established in the wilderness. I mean, Jesus is baptized and God says, you're my son. But then he goes to the wilderness and Satan's temptations always start with, okay, if you're really God's son, then do this. If you're really God's son, then do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, the, yeah. the other the the other passage in your book that um, that st- st- stood out to me was uh, there's there's a chapter where you kind of give us the freedom to rest. You, the the chapter's called uh, something like being resting isn't being lazy. Yeah. Uh, and that was really freeing for me because I think I fight with that every time I go to rest. There's this little voice that says, "What are you doing? You got work to do. Yeah. You know, you're wasting time." Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's such an important insight, I believe, especially for people who have been following the way of Jesus for some time or seeking to, uh, how they would self-describe as, serve the kingdom of God. Uh, the idea of resting in light of something like that as a premise 
feels almost disrespectful to God himself. So how could mm. I rest when there's so much work to do? But uh, the first thing that I think is truly a misnomer is that we equate rest with laziness, uh, or we equate rest with failure. And that's just simply not true. I think the easiest way to describe how important that's become to me is I, I had a conversation with a guy who was a uh, driver of an 18-wheeler truck, and he did these long-haul trucking expeditions, sometimes all the way from Northern California to Miami, Florida. <laughs> so wow. that's like a long way. And we were just talking, uh, just as new found friends, and this work came up, and I had all these questions. I didn't know anyone who'd ever driven a truck, so I started asking, and he said the most intensely regulated aspect of driving a truck is how much rest that the driver gets. And he said, you know, they have all these regulations and you have to sleep a certain amount. He said, but there are these companies, uh, shady companies that will operate outside of the book for these independent contractors who drive the truck who they'll incentivize getting to places quicker than you're supposed to. So they won't necessarily say you need to get there faster, but they'll just kind of say, get there a day earlier, we'll give you an extra 500 bucks. Mm. He said, uh, basically to get to the point. So many times when you're driving on the highway and you see an 18-wheeler in a ditch, it's not because they had a car cut them off or a blown tire. He said, we're professional drivers. We know how to adapt to those things, and we know how to handle ourselves behind the wheel. He said, more times than not, it's going to be because the driver of the 18-wheeler was exhausted, and he did not know how to operate that vehicle in an impaired state. And he talked about how there are so many times we're not getting enough rest leads to detrimental effects, not only on the person who drives the truck, but anybody who's in close proximity. And I think anybody who's listening, who has experienced disappointment through people who have led and been spiritual, um, you know, figureheads in their lives, and they've had some sort of moral failure, we know that that doesn't just happen for that person. It's anyone in their proximity. And so that whole idea of working from rest, living from rest, isn't just an either or prospect. It's how we actually sustain in our work for God. And I think that the last thing I would say is, you know, God provides what He requires. And I think that that's one of the mm, things that we forget. Wow. We think when mm. we're doing all of this work and spending our life for God, we're meant to do it in our own resource. But no, He gives us what we need such that we're able to spend our lives. Mm. So connect that up with, you talk about unforced rhythms of grace is that your is that your your metaphor uh for rest yeah so unforced rhythms of grace was a phrase from our dear friend eugene peterson uh that helped me to understand matthew 11 in a way that i had never really seen it you know this whole idea uh -huh. where jesus says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest and then he says take my yoke or my teaching and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will have rest for your soul. So basically what mm. unforced rhythms of grace are is this understanding of a work that could only be done by the hand of God alone. And from mm. the acknowledgement and awareness of that finished work, the unforced rhythm of that grace now informs the way that I live. There's nothing I do in my striving, in my straining, in my performance, in my working, None of that has any bearing on the fact that this work, which could only be done by the hand of God alone, is indeed finished. That is a grace 
that is given to us, and in light of grace, we get the rest. Hmm. Uh, okay. CZ, the, you and Mike have been talking about this, but the observation I've been thinking about is that we often measure our own personal effectiveness by how busy we are, and you, sure. you, you say that's the wrong that's the wrong thing to be measuring. Yeah, we, we use our work and our effort uh, as a badge of honor. It's something that shows our productivity, mm, right. and it's a tangible way to assign effectiveness because I can and it's, see... And it's our identity, right? It becomes your identity. Exactly. And there is no yeah. way to disconnect or untether from what is found as your identity. So the danger comes when now all of a sudden... My work, which was completely forming and founding my identity, is now changed or gone. Who am I? And we all saw Mm -hmm. in 2020 uh, so many people who were leaders in ministry, people, pastors, not even people who work at churches, but who have found their identity, worth, and value in the work that they get to do for God. And now all of a sudden that work looks different. It's not in front of people. It's not me talking. It's not me doing So the question then becomes, am I still valuable to God? Am I still worthy of God? And if my identity is only contingent upon my work, the answer is going to be no. (laughs) But the most important question that we can ask is, where should I find my true identity? It's in His finished work. So our busyness does not equal success. Yes. Again, back to... I, I. I always risk sounding like a book report, but, uh, you know, Eugene Peterson once said that busyness can be equated with laziness, because what he would say is, we're busy, especially as pastors or people in ministry, because we don't know how to prioritize what is truly valuable. We are busy because we're now finding ourselves uh, working contingent upon the things that we can perform and make and do. So, uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> So that goes back then to, you know, your your identity, your sonship, your daughterhood is established in a place of rest and a place that um, is set apart. I mean, and, and that, that's that positive view of the wilderness that you have. So why is it so hard? Why do we find this so difficult to find this place of rest? Because it's completely out of your hands. <laughs> Don't you like to be able to have control over oh, yeah. where you stand and where you are in societal structures, uh, how you are seen, how you are, of course. And so the very second that I begin to say, see, this is why the Sabbath is so beautiful. The practice of the Sabbath is a gift to us in our humanity, but it really, from the very beginning, was an introduction of a question that human beings were set to have to answer every seven days for the rest of the existence of humanity, which is basically, am I enough for you? Yes or no? That's what God is asking Mm. us. Because for six days, we do a work that we can do with our hands. And on the seventh day, we stop and remember a work that can only be done by the hand of God alone. So when we stop doing work with our hands, we have to answer the question, do I believe that while I am resting, God is still working? Yes or no? That's hard. (laughs) Because we know that if we're working, we can put tangible footholds to what we are accomplishing. I can say for sure, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. But then the difference is, if I am not doing something with my hands, is my identity, worth, and value still the same while I'm knowing that God is doing what He needs to do? Beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. Wow. All right. Well, the book is called Finding Soul Rest. The author is Curtis Zachary. CZ is we're calling him here on the program today. 
And Mike, you were talking to me about the website that CZ has, findrest.org. Yeah, well, you can go there to uh, find out more about the book. I guess you can order the book there, right, CZ? Yeah, you know what? The easiest way to do it is just, you know, hit your local Christian bookstore or Barnes & Noble and just, you know, order from there. You can order from the website. That's a great way to do it, too. Really, Find Rest is ultimately, hopefully, a place to have as a resource, you know, not to necessarily sell something, but really to give away some of these insights and thoughts that hopefully can be helpful along the journey. Well, I'm going to check out the website, findrest.org. It sounds wonderful. And the book as well, Finding Soul Rest. Um, well, it's been a joy to get to uh, talk with CZ here today. And Mike, uh, this this message really resonates with both of us, doesn't it? It does. And I'll tell you, one, one thing that um, CZ has done for me, he's lived out this message. He validates it with his life. And uh, I don't think we could ask anything more from an author than that. Curtis Zachary, thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. We're going to hear Michael sing a song now recorded in the studio. John Ketchings accompanies Mike on the cello. Jesus, let us come to know you. sound there. Mike, aren't we grateful for people like CZ who remind us that we need to have this place of rest, this soul rest? Yeah, and 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 people who don't just write books about it, but people who live it out. And uh that's that's what that's what makes his uh his life, I think, such a such a powerful witness. Yeah. And we're we're talking about we're talking about Father's Day. We're coming up to Father's Day and and that's really the that's the point of being a father. It's not just telling your kids what to do, but live, live, trying to living mm-hmm. out, live it out, mm-hmm. and, and uh, show them uh, this is what a life looks like that that understands uh, rest and um, 
Um, I'm thinking of Abraham Heschel, who said that the Sabbath is a sanctuary made of time. Ooh. And um, yeah, isn't that a great quote? Yes. Uh, it's a time for rest and rejoicing. And uh, I look back on my years of being a father. My kids are all grown now. And I, I got to ask myself, did I, did I, did I leave that message with my kids? Uh, the the importance of Sabbath rest and. Uh, but your grandfather now, you have this opportunity. Yeah, maybe to to do it all over again. Maybe get it right this time. Because <laughs> <laughs> busyness destroys everything, doesn't it? I mean, it destroys it our does. relationship with God, with our kids. Uh, right, and it's so and, easy uh, to fall into that trap. I do it all the time. It, well, that's the world is designed to to trip us up in that, and I think that's another reason why CZ's book is is so helpful. Well, Mike, thanks for this program today. God bless you. We'll we'll talk again next week. Okay, see ya. If our time together has been used by the Lord to bring up some new ideas to consider, please take a moment and pass along your comments to us. Share the link with a friend or post a review of this podcast. Email your reactions when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com or interact with other listeners when you post on the Michael Card Music Facebook page. And if you need more details about the resources we've talked about today, you'll find that at michaelcard.com. We're excited about the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. This month, we're featuring an important tool that will help you pass along your insights to your friends and family. When you visit csbible.com, search for the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible. In this leather-bound edition, you can use the generous margin space to record insights and stories and prayers from your faith journey. When you place your order, be sure to use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 as one word in the promotion code for your 40% discount through LifeWay. The CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible at csbible.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for another podcast. For Ron Davis and Susan Sermon and Lance Mansfield and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We're all glad you've been part of this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. My father was a doctor who would come home late at night With a soul so bruised and bleeding from his unending faithful fight To keep a hold of kindness in a world that isn't kind To hold out the hope of healing to his hurting humankind And he'd flee back to his study, to his bookish quiet place With notes and books and journals that walled in his special space And then he locked the door from things that cannot be locked out And his youngest son would starve for what he would always do But it was meant to make me who I am And for all these many years Still the little boy down on his knees Full of hope and full of fear Calling underneath the door This is me, it's who I am Still we love the best by listening When we try to understand Desperate stubby fingers pushing pictures neath the door 
and longing to be listened to by the man that I adored. Inside someone who needed me just as much as I did him, still unable to unlock the door that stayed closed inside of him. And it's strange the way we tend to flee from what we need the most. That a father would lock out his son when his heart would hold him close. But our wounds are part of who we are, and there is nothing left to chance. And pain's the pen that writes the songs, and they call us forth to dance. Down on his knees, full of hope and full of fear. Calling underneath the door, this is me, it's who I am. Still, we love the best by listening when we try to understand.